The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday. None of that would be possible, of course, if it weren't for what, hey, the mercies of Skype. We're at the mercy of Skype anytime we come on. We live in Sarasota, Florida. We broadcast from Seattle. Always happy to do that. How many years now? Uh, this is our 13th year. We, we had our 12th anniversary in March. And I missed it. There was some party somewhere. There had to be. Oh, there was a big party. Sorry, you couldn't be there. You didn't even save me a little piece of cake. <laughs> but anyway, well, here's a piece of cake. We're talking about bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. <laughs> Benny, how you doing, sir? Doing well. I don't remember the party either. I must have passed out somewhere, so it's all good. You were the DJ. <laughs> yeah, right. The DJ always got to pass out before everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're very happy today to bring back someone that we had the pleasure of interviewing six years ago. And you pointed that out to me a few minutes ago, really, Suzanne. And I said, six years, come on, time doesn't fly that fast. But sure enough, it's been six years since Jerry Jewell graced our program. And we got some inside scoop about the actor's life, about her life and career. And we have a lot of catching up to do. We do after six years. And she's got some big things going on, too. So let me give her her mad props and we'll bring her on. Jerry Jewell is an American actress and stand-up comedian noted for her roles in the 1980s sitcom The Facts of Life and the mid-2000s Western Deadwood. Originally from Buffalo, New York, she is most famous for her role of Jerry Tyler in the television program The Facts of Life from 1980 to 1984. This role made her the first person with a visible disability to have a recurring role on a primetime series, as well as the first actor with cerebral palsy to be featured on a TV series. Jerry began her career doing stand-up comedy at the Comedy Store in 1978. In 1980, she performed with the second annual Media Access Awards when she was introduced to Norman Lear by producer Fern Field. Jerry Jewell appeared as the recurring character Jewell on the HBO original series Deadwood from 2004 to 2006. Much more to be said about Deadwood, but for the second time, we would like to welcome Jerry Jewell to Manson Mitchell. How are you today, Jerry? I'm good. Thank you. So glad you could be with us. <clears throat> and so glad to have a, a not only a, a fellow Virgo, Jerry's birthday is September 13, mine is the 12th, so there's going to be a, a certain fraternal sense there because we Virgos stick together. But also, and I'm very proud to say, Jerry, that I went to the same high school as you. I was a senior when you were a freshman at Troy High School in Fullerton, California, and you've done good, kiddo. So this is always exciting when I can meet somebody from my neck of the woods who actually made it big. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Did we actually know each other in high school, or did, did we meet years later or become aware I, of one another? We became aware of one another much later when your career was uh, in full swing and you were in autobiographical mode and the great publicist Harlan Bowl managed to uh, put together an interview for us. You and I may have passed each other in the hall. Otherwise, if you knew me at all when you were a freshman, I was the guy doing the morning announcements <laughs> when I was a senior. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my gig at Troy High School, and uh, oh, over the homeroom stuff. Yeah, exactly. There's so um, that would be our connection as far as Troy goes. 
there, and I know some people from your class, as a matter of fact, who are they were in my social circle. Now, all this is it's good to reminisce. It absolutely is. And with the teachers that we had in the faculty at the time, it's wonderful that I know you were involved in drama at Troy High School. But years later, I mean, the trajectory of people who go on to take it seriously, whether they are academic dramatists, maybe they're drama teachers, or they want to go to Hollywood and make it big. It's fascinating to me when somebody's actually courageous enough, and you certainly are, if anyone is, to decide, yes, I want to do this, and I'm willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary in order to get somewhere in the entertainment business. I can't imagine a tougher path. Well, I I was determined. <laughs> I, I had a dream, and I went after it. I like the story, Jerry, of your having written to Carol Burnett, and you got some real encouragement for her, and I thought maybe you could tell that story. I did. Um, you know, when when I was a kid, I, I was bused to school. This was before Troy. I was bused to special ed, and so I didn't have any friend in my own neighborhood, except my sister Gloria. So I was isolated, and the kids that didn't know me in the neighborhood made fun of me, mimicked me. And my escape was television. I would run in the house to watch TV. I was obsessed with TV. <laughs> and I started writing Carol Burnett because I loved her so much. Every week she had such a wonderful sense of humor about herself. And that inspired me. And I started writing her when I was about 12 or 13. I wrote her a total of maybe, I would say, 12, 14 letters. And she always wrote me back. And she told me never to quit, to get into acting in every capacity. She said there were no guarantees that I would become professional. The important thing is to put out the effort and to try because no one knows what they can do unless they try. And then when I was about 17, I ordered tickets to the Carol Burnett Show. And I was in the studio audience when they did the sketch Went With The Wind. <laughs> Which you mean Gone show. With The Wind? Well, the sketch was called Went with the Wind, but yeah, it was a parody <laughs> and Gone with the Wind. Yes, where she and made the dress out of the drapes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that's when I met her. And it was surreal. It was a dream come true. And she was right, you know. I had to try. And I did. Jerry, after you were on Facts of Life, did you ever have another opportunity to either commute, uh, communicate with or meet with Carol Burnett again and say, I, I did it, I'm on TV? Yes, I, I did. Um, I, I've run into her several times, and I think one of the most moving times that I met with Carol was out of play, and... I believe it was 1993, no, 90, 
92. It was in 92. And she was in a play, and I went back days afterwards. And she was always so gracious, so loving, so accepting of me. And I, I had tears in my eyes because at the same time, my mother was dying of cancer. So I was very emotional, and I said, Till, I, I want to thank you for motivating me, providing me. I mean, you were such a big part of my success. And she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Jerry, you're welcome, but I want you to know something. Whether I wrote you or not, you still would have done it. You did it. I didn't do it. Don't ever forget that. It, it was amazing. She put the power back inside me. Yes. Uh, Jerry, how did, how did you land the role on Facts of Life? What were the circumstances around that? Well, I started doing stand-up comedy in 1978, and Fern Fields saw me perform and asked me to perform for the second annual Media Access Awards. And that night, Norman Lear and Charlotte Ray were in my audience that night. And Norman came up to me afterwards, and he said, James, kid, you're really funny, but you're way before your time. And I said, so wait a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> And he did. He waited three months and passed me on Facts of Life. So I love that. That's <laughs> great. The right place at the right time. No kidding. And those are those are famous words to be in the right place at the right time. What a feeling! There. I guess this should, would be a good opportunity for me to ask you, Jerry, about Norman Lear himself. He's a he's a titan of television. He also is well known for his longevity. He's really getting up there. And Norman Lear as a man and approaching you. Tell me about him. I know Sid Caesar had a lot of influence on you and treated you very well. But Norman Lear as this king and queen maker of television, what was it like working with him? Well, you know, I, I can't say that I directly worked with him except for the show I Love Liberty, when he cast me on I Love Liberty. That was amazing. It was in 1982, and there were huge celebrities in this show, like Christopher Reeve, uh, gosh, Mary Tyler Moore, Patty Duke. Christopher Atkins, I mean, big, big stars, Martin Sheen. And he wanted to cast me in the role as the American disabled person. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> he thought it was a perfect role for me. And I used crutches in this role. And this was supposed to be a live show that aired, and we fell behind schedule. So at the last minute, they put a movie on, and it was taped. And thank God for me, because I went up on stage. I walked week life upstairs on stretches, trying to look like I was really, really disabled. <laughs> And I went into comedy routine, and this was, 
in front of 25,000 people. I mean, the company I was with, John Wayne, <laughs> Barbara Streisand, I'm a huge celebrity, Shirley MacLaine. It, it was surreal, and I was scared beyond belief. And I went up on stage, and I thought in my head, I can do this. And I went into a comedy routine, and 25,000 people did not laugh. They were staring at me. Oh, you know, my gosh. I, oh, yeah. I had bombs, you know, in front of 100 people at the comedy store. I mean, I could deal with that. <laughs> but 25,000 people, I had tears in my eyes. And I knew, I kept going, thinking I would get him, I would get him, I never got him. And I dropped the crutches on the stage, and I said, you know what, um, I need help. <laughs> and I honestly thought that my career was over. I, I didn't think I'd ever walk again after that. I was mortified. And Norman Lear came running up on stage from the control booth. And he held me in his arms. He thought that I was having a nervous breakdown. Uh. He, uh, he was like, oh, my God, I gave her too much responsibility to young. You know, that's, that's what he was thinking. And he said, Jerry, are you all right? And I said, Norman, I'm fine, but the material stuck. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, Jerry, read my lips. Your mic wasn't on. <laughs> Your mic wasn't on. Oh, my gosh. They oh couldn't my hear goodness. a single word I said. Oh, my. So, oh, no. And all the celebrities that were backstage, including Robin Williams, I mean, all of them were like, oh, my God. He's going to walk her off. How wonderful he, he's going to protect her. They honestly thought that I was going to be cut from the show. And oh. he, he whispered in my ear, he said, can you do this again, Jerry? Are you able to start from the beginning? And I said, yeah, I can do it. So he put his arm around me. And he said, how many people in this audience want to give this girl a second chance? And everybody stood up and gave me a second chance, gave me a standing ovation. Isn't this great? It, it I love amazing. that. I had never heard that story before. That is amazing. It, it really was. And, <laughs> you know, the irony of that is when I walked off stage to a second standing ovation, they gave me two after I finished the routine. Patty Duke was the first celebrity that came up to me, and she had tears in her eyes. She was crying, and she said, Jerry, I knew you could do it. I knew you were going to do it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and I never forgot that. In fact, when I wrote my autobiography, I asked Patty if she would please write the forward to my book, and she said, absolutely. And then from there, there was then there had to be yet something that occurred that got you onto Facts of Life from that double standing ovation 
at the access media. So was that Norman Lear or was that somebody else that said you need to be on Facts of Life? Norman Lear wrote the treatment for Cousin Jerry, and I was handed over to the producers, Al Burton. What an amazing, sensitive, beautiful man. And Facts of Life, my first episode of Facts, Cousin Jerry, aired on Christmas Eve, 1980. And with that happening, you were a trailblazer, which takes me all these years later. I look at we're talking about almost 40 years later. Just for example, Jerry, and, and maybe you're a fan of this show like Suzanne and myself. Our favorite current show by far is The Good Doctor. And when we watch that and we watch Freddie Highmore, we see someone who is playing the role of someone who is severely autistic and yet is a savant, is able to function at a very high level as a surgeon. And I, I'm amazed at his performance because he does not have that disability. But you were someone who in and of yourself and dealing with your own challenges brought yourself into the role and nobody had done that before. Isn't that true? That is true. And, you know, people with disabilities, qualified people with disabilities, entertainers are fighting tooth and nail to do the roles that were written for it. So we've come a long way, but like you just said, we have a longer way to go. And R.J. Mitty, Breaking Bad, he had terrible policies. He has terrible history, as far as I know. <laughs> And he's a brilliant actor, and he got Breaking Bad. So we're we're coming, we're coming around. In fact, I'm, I worked with him recently in an indie film called Carol of the Bell, which is going to be in the film festivals coming up, and it's going to be a Christmas release, I think. So I got oh. to work with RJ. Oh, very yeah. good. Um, Jerry, would it be fair to say? that with the um, with the more doors opening to people with disabilities in the entertainment field, would you say that there are uh, an increasing number so that the people who play people with disabilities and the people who actually have them are getting closer in number? Because I'm even surprised to see people uh, with disabilities being portrayed by people that don't have them that they're becoming pretty standard in commercials and in television shows. So is that becoming a little bit more even, a little more balanced? A little. <laughs> but you You'd like to see more. People. Yeah, we, you do see us in commercials and television, but they're far in between. And we're fighting for that balance, that equality. And... You know, we have made headway. Um, you know, Deadwood is another example. You know, I played Jewel in Deadwood. So, uh, you know, if they if they hired somebody else without a disability to play Jewel, it wouldn't have worked. Right. I can see that. Right, not as well, for sure. I'm also curious, Jerry, now... 
that they were having fun with your name there in the industry because when you go to Facts of Life, you're Jerry, Cousin Jerry, and then you're Jewel in Deadwood. I mean, was there sense, some conscious sense of them wanting to use your actual name in an ironic way? Well, interestingly, I I felt I didn't like that. I thought, God, why can't they name me something else so I can, you know, be a role? But now that I'm approaching 60-something, <laughs> um, I have a whole different take on it. If those roles were given to me out of love, compassion, and loving Jerry Jewel. And it's kind of like a, a sandwich. <laughs> it's like facts of life is, is one slice of bread, and dead, Deadwood is the other slice of bread. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if I tell another producer what my middle name is, I'll get a nothing roll. So it is an honor. It is. It's a beautiful thing to be loved that much by someone where they want to use your name. Yeah, very good. Well, I definitely can mm -hmm. see that. And by the way, I should ask you, I didn't know until I looked up your bio again. If I knew it, I had forgotten it. But there, you were a fellow Southern California. We lived in, in Orange County, California, Fullerton, California at the same time. Went to the same high school for a time, for a year. And yet you were born in Buffalo. How did all that happen? That, Fullerton's a long way from Buffalo. Well, yeah, um, I was born in Buffalo, and my mind especially knew that there was something not right about me. You know, she had two boys before me, David and Fred, seven and ten years earlier. So she's, she's known babies, and I wasn't doing things as quickly. And she knew intuitively, I don't know how she knew, but she knew I had cerebral palsy. And she kept taking me to doctors in New York. And she couldn't get a correct diagnosis. She wasn't satisfied. And then she also felt that if I remained in New York, I may not have been able to get the help that I needed. And she was informed that the most progressive doctors and birth defects were at UCLA in California. So my parents made a huge sacrifice, including my brothers. You know, they had no say so in it, but they went with it. Uh, they left, you know, Buffalo, all the relatives, all their friends, their schools, the snow. <laughs> right. To, to allow me to be diagnosed at UCLA, and my mother was correct. I did have cerebral palsy, uh. and and so that was a huge sacrifice. And again, such tremendous love that I can never take for granted. Well, that's that's very good that you're conscious about that, Jerry. That um, you're grateful for the things that people have done for you. Yes, that perspective. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we want to talk about Deadwood. And the first thing I want to ask you is how you met David Milch. So we'll talk about that after the break and how that all came about because that in itself is a fascinating story. 
and the things that were going on in your life at that time. So uh, stay with us. You're listening to Manson Mitchell. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with our special guest, Jerry Jewell, author of I'm Walking as Straight as I Can and actress in television and soon-to-be movies. So we'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome actress Jerry Jewell, who discusses the radically different roles she's had on the television shows Facts of Life and Deadwood. On Saturday, Mary Beckman talks about healing in the fifth dimension and beyond, and she'll be taking your phone calls in the second half of the show. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Deadwood, that's the theme. Famous TV series. And there's talk of a movie. We want to get into that with our guest, Jerry Jewell, author of I'm Walking as Straight as I Can, Transcending Disability in Hollywood and Beyond. Delighted to have Jerry with us today. Jerry, we we talked about facts of life, and I feel like I I left. Before I get into Deadwood, there are two things. First of all, I want to let people know how they can get in touch with you. YouTube is a great. If you want to see some wonderful interview clips, and they run roughly seven to eight minutes, a lot of them, so you get a lot in a little bit of time from the Television Academy. It's quite an honor for Jerry Jewell to be interviewed as part of their archives. So that would be one way to go, YouTube, and just just put in the search window, Jerry Jewell, Jerry being spelled G-E-R-I, and then J-E-W-E-L-L. But Jerry, as far as a website goes or any regular communication, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they go? Well, they can go to my website, jerryjewell.com, or Facebook, or Twitter, and I'm 
year learning how to use Instagram. <laughs> uh, I, I try to remain active on social media. So that is a way to get a hold of me. Oh, that's fantastic, in particular because we have at Mance Mitchell on Twitter. Some people find out about the show that way. So I want to make sure I look you up. What is your Twitter handle so that I can start following you? Oh, it's it's you. I made it real simple. So okay. that people can find me easily. Beautiful. Well, uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go add you on Twitter, and that will be a fun follow for sure. Jerry, I did want to ask you, in all seriousness and in the most non-ambushing kind of way possible, as Jerry goes, uh-oh, <laughs> but I, I ask you in all sincerity, now that Charlotte Ray has passed, and I was yes. thinking of you at the time, there not that okay. long ago, there, but with Charlotte Ray, I know there was controversy and there were dynamics in the relationship between the two of you that got to be troubling for you both. And now with Charlotte Ray's passing and her veteran career is remembered, I remember watching her on Car 54, Where Are You, when of that course. show was new. <laughs> Incredible. Yep. And of course, facts of life. When you look back on the life and the career and on the work that you did together, you and Charlotte Ray, what is your memory or your sense of perspective now? Well, I will tell you this, that yes, there were problematic issues when we worked together on facts, but to be honest with you, we reconnected in 2012, I think, for the TV Land Awards, or 2011, and we stayed connected. And I am so grateful for having spent quality time with Charlotte. In fact, I interviewed her for Ability Magazine two years before she passed. We spent a lot of time together, and I have total respect and admiration and love for her because the miscommunications and the things that we went through when I was on staff, we both were played with our minds by, by someone who tried, you know, someone who likes to light fires and watch them burn? I, I would compare it to that. Oh, let's make these two people not like each other. I think that we were both played. We were both victims of being lied to and taken advantage of being lied to about one another. And so all that is resolved. And I, I'm, like I said, my heart is so grateful for having spending time with Charlotte and for loving one another. She always loved me. And so it, it all came together in the end. It was a beautiful, beautiful time spent with Charlotte before she passed. Oh, thank you what for that. What a blessing. Yeah. You know, there are those yeah. times when saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too, heals everything almost instantaneously. And then there, there is all that regret if we don't get the opportunity or don't seize the opportunity to make things right with each other. I'm grateful for your opportunity to have done that with Charlotte Ray. Yes, again, gratitude. I mean, yes, how many times do we get an opportunity like that? And Charlotte and I both had it. 
and it was beautiful. And I think he watched it over a little bit from the other side, even. <laughs> yeah, I, we're metaphysical. Now and then. I love that. That that's, We take the metaphysical view of life on this program, so that something like that actually doesn't take me by surprise. If you sensed it, it might have taken you by surprise the first time it happened. I don't know. <laughs> but we do we do hear such <laughs> such stories, and we feel the presence of those who have been meaningful in our lives. We're quite familiar with that, definitely. Yes. In fact, I went to Charlotte Ray's service, and... I ran into Mackenzie Ashton, and Mackenzie, of course, is Patty Duke's son, mm -hmm. and he was so thrilled to see me, and we hugged each other. So six degrees of separation, um, you know, I'm influenced by his mother, and he was on fast, and so we have a respect and love for one another, Mackenzie and I. That's that's excellent. That really that's is. Excellent. And the, before we move on to Deadwood, there's one other thing I would say just as an observation, Jerry, and that is there uh, most certainly to include yourself as cousin Jerry. And then with the rest of the cast, what I saw when I used to watch the show was a cast of young women and then the, the matronly lady in charge of it all, I saw a cross-section of America. If there was any sitcom that represented diversity in American popular culture, the facts of life would have to be that show. Absolutely. They did that with all the characters, with Judy, with Natalie, Blair, <laughs> Joe. I mean, they all represented a part of diversity in our country, and then me, of course, a person with a disability. They always brought that out then. I'm so glad you brought that up because it wasn't recognized for what it really did. It was huge, huge breakthrough. And that was decades ago. Right. That was decades yeah. before both that was decades before Botox. You know, <laughs> when we see when we see commercials on television it's always about how Botox is going to eliminate the lines in your forehead and all that kind of stuff. But there, that was not the original purpose. And, and you yourself took Botox, but not to eliminate lines in your forehead. What does Botox do for cerebral palsy? Botox was originally invented for chronic pain for, um, paralyzing the muscles or the nerve endings that are causing the pain. And I had spinal cord surgery from C1 to C7 in 99. And Botox, I'm still on Botox today um, because the surgery was successful. My spinal cord was saved, but the terrible policy, the messages from the brain to the rest of my body doesn't change. So those messages are going against the hardware every waking moment of my life. I can't control that. I can't say, hey, stop sending those messages. It hurts. So Botox is a godsend for chronic pain. And when I had surgery... In 99, I honestly thought 
that my career is over. And I was living with my sister. She was caring for me, my sister Gloria, and she was taking such good care of me. And, but I, I didn't think that I would ever have a career again. And ironically, in 2002, I was standing in line at a pharmacy and in chronic pain because I needed Botox and I was there to pick it up to deliver it to the neurologist to inject it. And this man turned around. He said, oh, my God, are you Jerry Jewell? And I almost didn't even want to admit who I was because I looked horrible and I was in so much pain. But I, I said, yeah, I am kind of weakly. He said, well, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I said, well, thank you. Oh, my God, you've inspired me. You've made me laugh. I've loved you so much. I can't believe I'm meeting you. And I said, well, thank you, sir. And he said, but I haven't seen you on TV in a long time. What are you doing these days? I said, Botox. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he smiled and he said, how would you like to do a television series now? And I was stunned. I was like, I'm in a pharmacy, right? I'm not. I'm, I'm not in, in a meeting with cast and director or anything. This is a pharmacy. And he said, in case you don't recognize me, my name is David Milch. And my eyes got wide. David Milch, the executive producer of NYPD Blue? He said, yes. Oh, my God. And I said, well, Mr. Milch, I'm flattered that you are inspired by me and you believe in me, but... Let's get real. I would make a real, real heated cup. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I just signed a contract with HBO. I'm doing a new Western called Deadwood. You want to do a Western? And I looked up as far as my titanium neck would let me. <laughs> I said, God, you have a real cookie sense of humor. I'm standing here with terrible palsy, a titanium neck depending on Botox, and David Mills wants me to ride a horse. (laughs) (laughs) And he he wrote his phone number on a prescription pad for an antidepressant and told me to call him. And what what a lot of people don't know is I was the very first person to be cast on Deadwood. Wow. You were the first person in the else. entire cast? The first person? Yes. yep. Wow. That's amazing. I, I know. You're telling me. I know. <laughs> wow. Now, that's a shocker. That is really something, because what I've heard before, and I'm thinking, uh, um, for uh, who is the, the gentleman, uh, they're just by way of contrast, here when they have, is it Eddie, I'm going to embarrass myself, there, but his, um, Eddie Redmayne or something, there he was in the uh, Fabulous Beasts movie. Right, yes, Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And they find the central character, and then they build the cast around that central character and role and actor or actress so that the relationships of everyone centrifugal around this central character works. And here you are, the first one being put into this show, and they developed it out of that. Like, okay, well, no, we got our I, jewel. I wouldn't, look at, 
I wouldn't look at it that way. He had just signed a contract with HBO. He was a fan of mine. He said, I'm going to find a role for her in this new Western. It wasn't that. It was he loved me and he wanted me to be a part of this new project. But he also had to sell me to the director, to HBO, to the casting directors, and that took time. And, I, and I'm sure that there were other roles being cast, but he initially saw me and he goes, I'm going to cast you in my new series, Deadwood. It was very beginning stages. Well, it's synchronicity. I love your version better, Jerry. It, it's synchronicity. I mean, don't you get a, a tingly feeling of destiny around that? There is no question. David and I are definitely connected. There, there's no question in my mind, spiritually. You, you thought you were getting into gun smoke and it couldn't I, have been further I, from the truth. I, I did. I, I I had been absolute for so long in television. I didn't have HBO. I didn't know what it was about. And the only Western that came to my mind when he said that was Gunsmoke. And I thought I was going to be something like Miss Kitty. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So, we all remember, yes. Yeah, it was an eye-opener. <laughs> when I saw the script, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, but he but he gave I'm, you the I'm, book he gave you the book deadwood the golden years by watson parker and said read yes, this how long did it take you to read that about three days and okay. i did my own research online to find out the life and times of the early 1800s in deadwood i did a lot of research because David wanted me to write the backstory for my character. And interestingly, you know, I wrote about 25 pages and I faxed it to him back when we had fax machines. <laughs> and he called me 30 minutes later, 30 minutes later. <laughs> and he said, Jerry, it's David Milk. And I said, hi, I got your backstory. I love about 90. Seven percent of it, and I said, "Well, what part don't you like?" <laughs> and he said, "I don't like the name Crazy Kate because that's the name I had given myself." Uh -huh. And I was like, "But I love the name Crazy Kate, but I don't. I want I wanted to be named Jewel, and like you said, we we're talking about names, and I go, oh, here we go again. <laughs> First, I'm Jerry, now I'm Jewel." But now I, I take that, like I said before, uh, affectionately, if you will. Now, the the, uh, the program ran from 2004 to 2006, three seasons. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And now they're talking about a movie. Uh, like 13 years later. I would love to hear more about that. Well, it, it is, yes, and it is a dream come true. It is surreal for all of us. And it's actually 12 years later, and um, 
Deadwood the movie. It airs on May 31st on HBO. And I have to tell you, this is very fascinating. But a lot of people don't know is I had spinal cord surgery again in July. And this time it was for my lower back. And it didn't go as smoothly as the surgeon had promised. And he thought that I would be back to my, you know, special way of walking within a month at the most. And it dragged on the end of December. I was still a part-time wheelchair user. And I was so frustrated. I, I was getting physical therapy, occupational therapy. I was in rehab for two weeks trying to learn how to walk again. And I got the script emailed to me by production in late September. And I read it and I bought. I was like, how can I do this? I can't do this. There's no way. They want to start filming in three weeks. There's no way I can do this. No, in one week. Yeah, it was one week. And so I called production and I said, can I speak David Mills, please? And he said, well, David's not taking any calls right now. Can I leave him a message? And I said, yes. Tell him that Jerry Jewell called and that I had spinal cord surgery on July 12th and it didn't go as smoothly as we thought and I'm still not back to my, you know, regular ability, my walking ability. And I'm in a lot of pain and I, I, I don't think I can do this. So please let David know that he has my blessings in recasting Jewel. And there was this silence on the line. <laughs> and, and she said, are you sure you want me to tell him that? And I said, yes, because it's the truth. Well, David called me the next day. David and Rita both, his wife. I loved them both. And they were on a conference call with me. And David said, Gary, it's David. And he said, we got your message. And I said, yeah. And he said, there's only one jewel, and it's you. And I don't care if I have to rewrite your role. I don't care if we have to have a wheelchair-accessible trailer. I don't care whatever we can do to support you. I want you in this role. You cannot get out of it. And I was bawling because between the surgery and I lost my sister to lung cancer that year, a year before. And so these last two years have been the hardest years of my life. And there was David again putting my path. Sorry, kid, you're going to work. Yes. <laughs> so... So I did jewel for the movie, and I can't say a whole lot about that role right now, but I will say that pain-wise, the pain went through the roof physically for me to do that role. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And every... 
every day that I worked was physically just so challenging, and I would come home and just collapse. How can I do this? How can I do this? And then it dawned on me, as an actress, I the only way I could get through it was to make that physical pain and the emotional pain of losing my sister to cancer, I had to make that pain the character's pain. I had to make that pain Jewel's pain, not mine. And I am so proud that I was able to do it, that they could still believe in me. I remember when I first saw him again, I, when we did a table reading, he came up to me and, I, and hugged me and I said, thank you, David, for still believing in me. And he said, Jerry, I believe in you from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. <laughs> so this movie is a dream come true for me again. Oh, my goodness. And I can see why you feel you have, and with great justification, why you would sense this spiritual connection to this man. Absolutely. There's no question. He he has, besides Norman Lear, he has been one of the most incredible teachers that I have ever had in my life. That's, you, that brings up something, and this is kind of a side note, but I find it curious, and also it gives me a clue as to how you work as an actor, and that is that when you go back and forth trying to put together this character of Jewel, there was a time when you were pretty determined that part of your backstory was that you knew Calamity Jane. I found that fascinating in an interview on YouTube. What was this connection in your mind between the role of Jewel and the historical figure of Calamity Jane? Well, in, in, in my interpretation of that relationship, it was that, you know, she started the mail service, you know, with the horses, and she was a rough and tough, you know, pioneer, and, and did so much. And and when I was writing my backstory, I thought, you know, this is a woman who's powerful, a pioneer who can do it no matter what. I mean, I didn't understand how complicated she was, you know, um, that she was an alcoholic, that she had, you know, her mouth. I mean, I, she, she just screwed four letter words from left to right. <laughs> I, I didn't visualize that. I visualized the strength of her, and she is. I thought of a woman who made a difference in the world. And my interpretation of it, I became friends with her for our love of horses. And so it was an innocent, it was, like I said, it was gun smoky. <laughs> Yes, Gunsmokey. That's a, this is a good time for me to mention, Jerry, that you were on Suzanne's Mind and My Own two summers ago when we made a cross-country trip from Florida up to Chicago, and then we went along the northern tier of states, and we dropped down into South Dakota in order to get to Wyoming and Montana and Yellowstone and Devil's Tower and all of that. Well, of course, we made a stop in Deadwood. And we stayed a couple of nights, 
and we saw oh. as much of we got to see the town we got to feel the character of deadwood as a place where people lived and fought and died and survived and we also got the crazy horse too for the other side of that story but when we went into one little restaurant where they had some poker machines slot machines you know deadwood is a gambling oh, yeah. destination they had posters up from the show of Deadwood, and I said, we interviewed Jerry Jewell, and I'm looking at Deadwood here, and I didn't know there was a movie in the works, but I thought it's really great to know that the town of Deadwood strongly identifies with the television portrayal of the town and the times in which it became notorious. And I thought that was just great that we actually got to visit there. Deadwood's a fun town. It is, and, and actually, I became close friends with several people from Deadwood, and I've been back there several times. In fact, the city hired me at one point to do disability sensitivity training for all their schools. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. That's a nice connection. Yep. And I, I, Deadwood and the people, the friends that I've made in Deadwood will always, always have a special place in my heart. Like, I mean... They fell in love with the series, and we fell in love with them. Oh, I can believe that. And the Black Hills itself is such a phenomenon, so rich with history. I do want to go back, that's for sure. Well, one more time, Jerry, I'd love to say thank you for being on. I'd love to talk to you again. We'll do a third interview. We won't wait six years. But in the meantime, your book is called I'm Walking as Straight as I Can, Transcending Disability in Hollywood and Beyond. Jerry Jewell, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it so much. And we can't wait for the movie. Very good. Movie is May 31 on HBO. Coming up next? Coming up next, Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon, and then a great new show, not so new anymore, it started in January, American Roads Trip Talk with host... Gary Mance. Taking to the open road. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific right here on KKNW AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.